Every day, the 800,000 young carers we know of in the UK face huge decisions, which are often way beyond their maturity. Young carers make decisions about the health of their loved ones, academic futures, arrangements for travel, college and going to university. And sometimes they make decisions about sacrifices they have to make for the sake of the person they care for. Of all the pressures I had at the time, I had to choose one or the other and I had to choose my family and my mum over the sport and the passion I had. I don't think about myself a lot. I very much think about others before myself. I very much said to myself, I don't want to be like that. I want to have a normal life um, and whatever normal is, not end up in the same place that my mum's in. That's Alicia. And later in this episode, we'll hear about the sacrifices she made to give up the sport she loved and we'll talk about how she was identified as a young carer. Produced by the Useful Media Company with funding from the Audio Content Fund. This is Are You Aware We Care? Episode 5. Alicia is an only child with a single parent, a parent who she cares for. We start this penultimate episode by finding out about her mum. Well, she's been diagnosed with like just general um, anxiety disorder and then uh, depression, which is quite boring, really. No- nothing, you know, nothing interesting. Um, but she herself has got quite a bit of childhood trauma. Uh, that Obviously, she comes from the generation of where, you know, you don't talk about your mental health, you know, just put it off to the side. No one cares, no one matters, whatever. I think when she grew up like that, it very much had an effect on her in terms of she never got to deal with her trauma. And it's very much always stayed with her and been that, like you know, two steps behind her. I think as she's got older, it's kind of, you know, grabbed hold of her. And that's kind of where it's got worse in that sense. Like, she has had to kind of deal and process with her trauma now, like 40-odd years later compared to when she should have done it when she was, like, 10. Some young carers are lucky in that they are identified and given the support they need early on. It wasn't until Alicia was well into her caring role, a role she saw as completely normal, that she managed to get a referral to her local young carers group. Hearing what all these other girls get to go to and kind of they get to do with their parents, their parents take them on holiday and stuff like that, I was kind of like, okay, maybe, maybe you know, it isn't exactly the most normal thing, but, you know, it's, I didn't think, you know, it was completely unreasonable. And then kind of I got to the end of year eight and kind of was like, you know, okay, like, this has kind of taken more stress out of me than kind of a lot of my friends. A lot of my friends were, you know, in year eight, you kind of find yourself and stuff like that. And for me, it was kind of, I was too busy trying to help my mum to find the other, like, you know, too busy trying to help my mum in order to, you know, help her instead of helping find myself and kind of, you know, have that age where you're kind of growing up and stuff like that. And then when I was in year nine, kind of a teacher brought up parents evening and my mum hadn't been to parents evening since I was in year five because anyone who's been to parents evening will know how chaotic and like that sort of thing is and for my mum she wouldn't be able to cope in that situation it just physically wouldn't be possible and when kind of the teacher brought up and was like she sat me down about it and she was like you know why why hasn't your mum been to parents evening like you know I don't want to cause any issues she was a newly qualified at the time and she was like I don't want to cause any issues I just want to kind of know why in terms of you know is there something we can do to try and help or you know she was more implying that what she could do is like herself because she was obviously newly qualified and stuff like that and she I kind of I spoke to her I was like oh yeah my mom just can't do busy situations it's just not for her because I at the time I that was how I used to just think about it I just think my mom can't do busy situations because otherwise she'll have like a panic attack but you know I just thought that was normal I thought you know everyone's parents did that and then she kind of spoke to me a bit more in depth and over time I kind of told I'd like spoke to her about a lot more other things that were going on and she kind of went you know what like I think you're a young carer and I was like I looked at her and was like yeah 
not not on the same page as whatever you're on about. Don't have a clue what you mean. I remember the night that she told me that, I went Googling and was on Google for hours and hours and was like, you know what? I think I agree. Like, you know, I really resonate to what was online. And, you know, although a lot of it was written by adults and professionals, I was like, I resonate with what a lot of it said. And I tried to get in contact with my county's local kind of carer service. And they kind of responded back to me saying, um, because you're under the age of 18, you can't refer yourself. You need to get a professional to do it. And I kind of thought, I don't really want to get my school involved. I don't want to get teachers involved. You know, I don't really, I'll just stay out of it. And I kind of, that was how I left it. And this specific teacher would support me a lot and just, you know, be there for me in terms of like, if I needed extra things or, you know, if I just needed someone to sit with and talk with, she was there. And it wasn't until, I think, four months later where I said about a specific thing that happened the day before that was quite a big safeguarding issue where she escalated it and it was taken seriously because I didn't realise at the time, but she'd escalated it previously and she wasn't taken seriously because she was told by a certain members of staff that what she was saying, you know, it wasn't serious and you know, I was doing okay. I wasn't causing too much of a nuisance or an issue. So it didn't, it didn't matter. And I think that that's quite a big issue in itself. But um, going back to the story in terms of that sense, but when she was able to escalate and taken seriously, that was when they kind of put all the, you know, the the necessary like CAF form in and like, you know, actually try and get in contact with a, a, a young carer service and stuff like that. And then that was kind of where it went from there. I then had to wait until... So that was put in in sort of May time. I then got a phone call in September from the lady from who runs the young carers service. And she was like, we can offer you assessment and, you know, we'll take it from there. And I remember that, like, you know, it was a, quite a big gap from where I was told, you know, we think you can be identified and then here's your assessment. And I think that gap kind of, that was a time where family services were involved and all sorts of stuff like that. And I think it was one of the most weirdest times because... Once you've been identified and kind of told, you know, you do match up the description to here's actually a professional who's specific to that field, you're being told all sorts of things and kind of, you know, different people are getting involved. And it was very kind of whirlwindy. And I don't really remember it that much because it was so hectic and kind of such a kind of, you know, you're going through it and you don't get time to process it kind of thing. I never liked the lady who was like the safeguarding uh, lead at my school. We just didn't get along. And like, I remember when she sat me down in her office and I asked for a, like my the member of staff who identified me kind of thing to be in there with me because I didn't want to be in there alone. And like, I was literally crying because I just told this member of staff something. And, you know, obviously, you know, you tell people things in confidence. and I knew she was going to have to escalate it. But like knowing that someone quite senior is having to get involved and do all these things for you, especially when you're not really, you know, in my head at the time, I was like, you know, social services are going to get involved. My mum's not going to be happy and all of that sort of stuff. It kind of, you know, that was what was more prevalent than I need this help and support. This will really help me long term kind of thing. The first thing that kind of, as soon as I was kind of told that it was being escalated to safeguarding, I remember like the first thing in my head thinking, oh God, social services is going to get involved. Like, you know, I'm going to have someone come around and they're going to have to like assess whether I'm best at home or whether I need to be taken elsewhere. I think especially with the nature of kind of what had gone on and stuff like that, I thought, you know, maybe my mum was going to have to go into hospital and, you know, my mum had always kind of not really been the most when it came to, you know, actually trying to access support herself. And I kind of thought, you know what, this is the time where they're going to force her and she isn't going to have a choice to, you know, 
discharge herself simply i think so many of the times i kind of had ummed and ahed about it and been like you know what no I, I can't do this but that was the first time where i kind of thought you know what i can do this like this is the time i need to actually like reach out the fear that being identified as a young carer that many young people face is that social services will swoop down and tear a family apart this we're pleased to say in the vast majority of cases is completely untrue apart from where a young person is at risk of harm the care act put into place in 2014 basically states that families should be given the support they need. Here's Helen Nedbetter from the Children's Society. Families can uh, be fearful of social services and, yeah, I think that is a real fear and can prevent, you know, people from asking for help. And all different individual circumstances will be different. As a young carer, they shouldn't be put into care because they're a young carer and these kind of duties and assessments... um, means that they we should be social services and the rest of us should be looking at what other support families need um, in order to kind of reduce um, impacts of care if they've become that excessive for the for the young person so um, and really the uh, the assessments should be about engaging families and young people in those conversations um, around what they need and I think um, I think I think families do have kind of fears of social services. I think they fear that they'll be seen as, um, you know, not being good parents, but they shouldn't be, because they've got an ill health or disability need, that shouldn't necessarily, um, absol- that shouldn't lead to their children being taken into care. So family services got involved first, and I remember the first thing I kind of did with them was a three-week, like, art project through the summer. And, like, I'm the least artistic person one could know, but... Those three weeks was three weeks where I was getting that break away from home every single day. I was socialising with young people, which was something that I hadn't done properly outside of school in years. And kind of, I was doing things with young people that young people do. I think for me, that was, that made me realise then that I'd made the right decision to reach out. I kind of, you know, I was getting an opportunity that I wouldn't usually get that kind of, I should get because I am a young person or I'm a child like you know I should get these opportunities but I obviously wasn't because I was too busy putting my mum first and then in September when my uh, young carer when I started getting involved with my young carers project like some of the opportunities like with trips and stuff like that that have allowed me to kind of get an interest in things that I like rather than having to focus on what my mum likes and put her likes and interests first like I've had to find my own and find what I like and what I don't like kind of thing and that was kind of where the advocacy kind of the love for advocacy kind of came along because I kind of started working on like a project that they have within the project to do with like kind of ensuring young carers are helping change the project for the better and ensuring that what's happening within the project is right and stuff like that and um when I started getting involved with that however many years ago it is now and I kind of I see where it's gone from then to now and now I run that group rather than you know just one of the young people who just attend it attend it and I kind of think you know what like this is where this is what shaped kind of the person I am now and kind of advocacy wise I think kind of that is what the project and kind of all the sort of reaching out for help has done is it's made me realize who I am rather than who my mum is if young carers have one thing in common it's sacrifice They sacrifice their time, they sacrifice friendships, they sacrifice their childhood. All because of the unwavering and selfless love they have for the person they care for. From when I was three to kind of 15, 
my like passion in life was horse riding. And it was one thing I did every day. I had my own pony. I was kind of, you know, looking after it. And kind of that was kind of who I was. And I'd travel the country, you know, getting to compete and kind of doing all sorts of crazy adrenaline filled like competitions and stuff like that. And then when my mom got quite ill and, you know, in terms of her mental health really deteriorated to the point where, you know, she couldn't really leave the house and she couldn't move and stuff like that. It was kind of a, I couldn't enjoy what I used to enjoy because it was causing too much kind of stress to kind of get myself to the stables. I kind of, I couldn't get there because obviously, you know, when you're that young, you can't drive and like transport networks to stables aren't usually the best of things. And I think it was causing so much grief and aggro trying to, you know, sort everything out and sort my mum out. I just kind of, I fell out of love with the sport and kind of, I realised that I had to kind of put my mum before the love for the sport. And I think for me, that just ruined the sport completely. And like, you could try and get me to get back into the, like, you know, the sport now. And I just, I wouldn't be able to do it because I just don't love the sport because of all the pressures I had at the time. I had to choose one or the other and I had to choose my family and my mum over kind of, you know, the sport and the passion I had. With every day, a new challenge is faced. For Alicia, what does a good day look like? Good day for my mum. You know, she's just, you know, you wouldn't really notice anything like in terms of you wouldn't even realise that she had a, a mental health diagnosis. She'd be able to just function like any other normal person. And a not-so-good day? She wouldn't get out of bed. You wouldn't be able to get her to take her meds, which is kind of a big issue. Um, she would mainly just sleep the whole day. She may or may not get up to eat maybe twice in the day, and that'll be about it. She'll just lay there, and if she's in that sort of state, it can usually that usually will happen for a good five to seven days. You know, I obviously learned how to use a washing machine and all of that sort of lot at quite a young age, how to use the cooker and stuff like that, because I kind of... I didn't want, for those five to seven days, I didn't want things to stop. Things had to, I'm very much a scheduled person. I like things to continue the way they are kind of thing. And kind of, I've always found that if my mum was in sort of those episodes kind of thing, I would continue on in myself as if nothing was happening. I would like make sure all the cooking was done, the cleanings were done, kind of all household sort of things were being done just to make sure that, you know, I was still getting the daily kind of schedule sort of thing. And it kind of then also became that I just needed to make sure that my mum was, you know, still still there in a sense and kind of making sure that if I could get her to take her meds, I could. But a lot of the time I kind of learned just to leave her because you can try and intervene and force the person kind of out of the state, but it doesn't, like long term, that just doesn't have an effect. Like it's much easier just to leave them and let them work it out on their own. Throughout this series, we have asked young carers how they feel about the label. But what does Alicia's mum think of her identity as a young carer? She absolutely hates it. Um, she has never liked the word young carer. She thinks it's like, doesn't describe me at all. She doesn't think I do anything kind of in that sort of sense. Um, she when I like obviously she had to be notified um, of when all the paperwork got sent in from the safeguarding team to elsewhere she had to be notified about it and she kind of was very defensive about it at the time and was kind of like why have you done this like I, d I don't understand why you've done this or and for her she very much took quite a few months to kind of process kind of what had actually been going on and how her mental health had affected me because she always didn't think it affected me she thought you know I just brushed it off and kind of as I've kind of become more kind of on and off of a young carer kind of thing, she kind of, she doesn't see it as a caring role because I'm not doing it all the time. So to her, it doesn't matter. 
it just shows that young carers aren't all the same. Like a lot of people have the kind of the thing in their head that a young carer is someone who helps care for a, a parent with a physical disability and kind of it's a long term thing every day in and out all the time. And I think kind of it's the thing that is not always like that. And I think for me, I'm very much on and off a young carer. Like there are some weeks where my mom is perfectly fine. You wouldn't even know that she has kind of the issues that she does. But then there are other times when I have to put my mom before my schoolwork. And that's when you kind of like, that is when I become more of the caring role and stuff like that. And it just shows that both of those two caring situations are very different, but they're equally just as much as important in terms of caring, like ensuring that the well-being of the young person is there. Speaking of well-being for the young person, does Alicia ever reflect upon or worry about her own mental health? Obviously, when I was young, I didn't know exactly what it was in terms of mental illness, but I always knew there was something there. And I kind of, you know, as I kind of grew up to know what it was, I very much said to myself, I don't want to be like that. I, you know, I want to have a normal life um, and whatever normal is and kind of, you know, not end up in the same place that my mum's in. And kind of that was always my thought. And as soon as like, you know, someone used to bring it up in like a lesson or at some point, you know, oh, you know, if your mum or dad's, you know, got such and such, you're going to get it as well. And I used to like think, well, I don't want to, I don't want to end up like that. I, I don't want it. Like, you know, what about if I do get it and I don't want it? Like, what do I do then? And I kind of, that went through my head a lot. And I kind of was like, I want to live my life, not the life that my mom's leaving, like, le- like, leading right now like I don't want to end up like in her position and like for for years I tried doing everything I can to ensure that you know I was perceiving to be you know coping really well and you know being the best self I could be which in fact was completely the opposite and very much the negative side of it because when you're a carer for someone with mental illness if you show any sign of kind of you know being mentally ill yourself it very much is blamed on them and kind of you know it's that they see it as their fault and that's the worst thing especially when you're kind of in that confined situation of a, like a relationship in terms of mother and daughter is it can be kind of like relationship destroying young carers have been referred to as the hidden army they do so much for the people they love behind the scenes through their actions and efforts they alleviate an incredible amount of pressure from social services local authorities and the nhs but do all young people with this incredible responsibility feel hidden? And what do they want to share with the world? The word hidden, I think, very much does describe kind of young carers and young adult carers quite well, because a lot of the time we very much are under the radar and people don't realise that we're there at all because, you know, they see the person we care for and that's it. They don't really... I think it's everyone who's been in like a caring situation and then also been in school or kind of that sort of setting would have always been in the situation of kind of if someone brings it up they always ask who you care for they always ask about that and kind of how they're doing and all of that they never really care to ask about you as a carer and they kind of very much brush past that and it kind of very much makes you feel like you're not there it's only the person you care for who is there I think in terms of coming back to hidden very much of the time a lot of young carers don't realise that they are a carer a lot of them it doesn't brush their mind because to them it's just natural everyday life and that's how it is kind of and then when someone points it out they're like oh yeah but then until that point you're very much just not seen to anyone sometimes all a young carer needs is to be asked are you okay or how are you doing today it's these simple questions that society struggles to find a way to ask that makes a huge difference 
As Peter Cooper explains. If you look at um, disabled children, um, I used to, this used to happen to, to me, you know, children would come to Fairthorne and they'd have adult carers and people would talk, staff would or other adults would want to talk to the carer about the child who was sitting there in front of them and perfectly able to, you know, field a question, even if it was a smile or a shake of the head, which would be the answer. But they would talk over them. It's a really weird dynamic with young carers because, um, you know, sometimes whether they're taking them to an appointment somewhere or whatever, and the professional won't necessarily want to impart the information on the young person because they perceive them as not able to deal with that, but they need to know. You know, if they've got to give them some medication, why, what for, what's it do, what's the side effects? But they kind of bypass. It's this really interesting dynamic. So we've, you know, um, so they need to be recognised for what their functions in the family. It doesn't mean we overload them with huge responsibilities. We need to ease that responsibility. But they do need to know this stuff. It's important. They're the ones who are living with it. You wear a mask before masks became a, a thing. <laughs> That's kind of the funniest part that I think a few, a few of us have seen more recently. Is you know, masks you know have become kind of like a thing to wear, whereas a lot of young carers, and I know myself, we've worn a mask for years. Like we always will, kind of, because you don't show your vulnerability. If you show your vulnerability to people, that's when you kind of you're not taken seriously is not the right word but it's when people see the re the real you and for me i just don't like that because i prefer to be perceived as a strong resilient happy young young girl rather than you know the the quite scared quite you know quite vulnerable um person who does need that like little bit of guidance in life and you know needs that little bit of help to get back on track I think it's just easier to pretend that everything's okay because you very much seen especially I think being a carer it's made me realize kind of how inconvenient it can be (laughs) in the nicest way of saying it and I think showing your vulnerable side and like taking off the mask can be seen as quite a nuisance so it's just easier to to pretend we should always feel sorry for the young people who've had to become carers because of their parents or their siblings or whatnot and i'm like why well, i don't want your i don't want you to feel sorry for me like you know i chose to do what i do i didn't you know suddenly be forced into it i just you know i made the decision for the like my own kind of family's sake and i just stepped into it naturally i didn't you know wasn't forced by anyone to do it and kind of you know no young carer wants pity from anyone else because you know they just do what they can and it's not something you know we'd all change we all want to be seen and heard but we all want to be seen and heard in our own ways in terms of we don't want everyone to see and hear everything but we want them to see and hear what we want to tell them society's funny in it we try and avoid um you know difficult conversations we try and you know you you ask uh, families who've got children uh, you know a member of the family who's disabled how many people actually come and knock the door and say how are you and stuff like that you know people walk past each other we that is and of course none of that's been helped by a pandemic where we've all been locked away in our little boxes and stuff so uh so going forward communities need to be um self-supporting they need to look after each other um we need to we're not you know we don't feel that you're being intrusive um, offer help whether it's just going to do someone shopping whether it's whatever it is let your kids play with their kids 
and, and, and those things when it's safe to do so um, because that's that's really important because it's so easy to just just walk past and to oh that's a bit tricky I won't go there well tricky things you know make <laughs> do the tricky things in life because they're the things that will make the biggest difference I wish I kind of spoke out earlier. That is the one thing I always regret. Like, I wish not speaking out earlier because I think it would have solved a lot of issues. I mean, it's easier said than done, but kind of speaking to a teacher or speaking to someone, you know, you can trust who's like an adult kind of thing and just speaking it through with them and seeing if they kind of see your perspective from it. And, you know, it's, it's very tough to kind of start speaking about it to people and don't be afraid to talk because being scared to talk about everything just creates another barrier and another problem. And being able to talk allows you to kind of, is the whole problem shared is a problem halved kind of thing. And being a young carer, you're constantly going through problems day to day. And talking about those problems can kind of get the weight off your shoulders because as a young carer, you've got so much weight and taking some of that weight off can just provide so much like of a lifeline. With the end of the pandemic ahead and the changes to everyday life that will bring, the support young carers will receive is a little uncertain. In 2016, Matt introduced the Young Carers Festival closing song with some strong words of advice. As the UK heads into an uncharted future, our voice must be loud. We must continue to tell people we exist and need help. We must put ourselves first and spread the message about the hidden army of the world's most caring, loving and inspirational young people. We are the Young Carers of 2016. It's actually quite a relief to know that there's other young carers here and that I can talk to them and everything and make some friends that I can talk to about young carer stuff. I got this feeling inside my bones. You don't really think of how many young carers there are and it's hard to estimate how many there would be in one area, never mind the whole UK. I just bottle everything up and then explode. It just doesn't work. You care for other people, but also you need to care for yourself. I love it, it's absolutely amazing. When we come back, we start off exactly where we left. The best time of the year. It changes every year because the first year I was really terrified because I've never been camping before. Now I've got used to it, even camping in the rain. <laughs> A lot of them have opened up and they've totally opened up this new personality we've never seen before because they've never had the chance to be a child like they can here. Because here you can run around till midnight and all of that. You can't do that at home when you're caring for someone. And our what we do isn't just like a job or just something that's logged onto us. It's something that we choose to do and that we're proud of being a young carer. It makes me feel better about caring about other people, so it feels better to be here than being judged about it. I don't think I would really change anything. It's, it's perfect this way.
I like caring for people because I've had a lot of experience with troubles and bullying and I don't like to see other people go through that hard time. I can make a difference in someone's life. When I first found out I was a young carer, it was very isolating. It was scary, like you had a label. But then coming to a festival like this, you realise that you're not the only one. Oh, it means that, to me, that I can help other people get through all the difficulties they have in their own lives. actually realised I was in care so I had to like grow up pretty quickly and look after everyone. The percussion thingy where they splat paint all over us. It's probably the best and biggest fireworks display I've ever seen. But one thing that I have noticed year after year is that friendships are formed, but it's it's something more than that. We become more of a family than anything else. And to see everybody enjoying that experience and becoming that close is or inspiring. I wish for my mum and to live a normal life and to get better. I wish for my brother to feel happy again. I wish that my mum will be okay forever and always. It lets me live the childhood I never had. We're almost at the end of this first series. You can listen to every programme at areyouawarewecare.co.uk where you'll also find exclusive extended interviews, podcasts, and additional material added over the next few weeks. Next week, we meet a teacher who, after meeting a young person who opened her eyes to the world of young carers, changed the way her school worked with and supported them. If you want to find out more or need help, visit youngcarer.com.